You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou. And once again, I'm joined by the brilliant Mike Stavrou. Mickey boy, how you doing? What's going on, man? Long time, long time. Last time we spoke, we were, um, quick little plug, Chronicles of Aguna was on BBC Radio London. Oh, yeah. Um, so that's that's actually the last time we spoke. So I'm glad to be back uh, on home turf. This is this is where it all began, and uh, yeah, it's been it's been a while, man. Do you feel safer here? Yeah, I do. You know, I do. When I was, I'm not gonna lie, my, my first time on on BBC, uh, it was great because obviously you were there, um, Sophie was there, and Aaron was there, who were all like mates of mine. Um, but when you think, oh, this is going out on national radio, it's kind of like it's a different sort of pressure. Do you know what I mean? It's like you have to be very careful what you say. You don't want to like you want to sort of limit the banter a little bit so it's not too too much you want to come across as you know intelligent you know what i mean yeah professional yeah. exactly exactly yeah. yeah no absolutely uh big hello to everybody joining us in the live chat box there are plenty of you with us already and we've only just kicked off apologies i was a few minutes late starting the live stream but me and uh mike were having a good gossip uh it's been a bit of a while um alex says uh <laughs> I'm flicking back and forth between listening to Putin setting his demands not to start World War Three, and watch Harry talk about Arsenal. This is too surreal. We're not going to get into the politics. Like, it's obviously yeah. crazy what's going on in that part of the world at the moment. I haven't really been across it as much as I probably should have, but we're not going to talk about that anyway because it's a football show. But it's mad because I've got BBC News on to my right and I spotted Putin coming up as he was about to press go live. And I thought, Kind of want to watch this, but I'll have to pause it and watch it back later. I'm sure it'll be repeated a million and one times. But yeah, we're going to talk football. Uh, that's what we're here to do. Okay, um, Mike, I've got to start off before we get into yeah. serious football matters. That chip shop ad that Arsenal put oh, out today yeah. with Ramsdale and David Seaman. How good is that? Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. I was um it was it it was it was funny because um I, I showed my dad and my dad didn't get the the chant that they were doing that oh you're shit my, my, my dad because my dad doesn't go to games anymore was, he gave up his season ticket he was like what he was like yeah it's funny but what's this chant they're doing I was like oh dad you know that's what happens when <laughs> when the keeper kicks it and all that and it, then at the end he realized oh it's old David Seaman yeah 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 so you know it it, it appeals to a mass market. Um, and I think it's 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 great. It's so good what they're doing, Harry. And it feels like we're getting back to a stage where, like, the fans are more invested in in Arsenal on the pitch and off the pitch. Like the fact that they're yeah. supporting a a local business is uh, is is great. And of course, some people are going to be you know upset about it. I saw one tweet. I'm not going to name the person, but they were saying about, oh, is it social media washing? Um, how about some of the some of the people that that the club employ in terms of like uh, outsourcing the ticket sales and stuff like that. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to bash the club. I'm just going to, you know, look at, at what they're doing as a business and say, fine, there's some things that they're not going to change because it makes sense in a, in a business sense, but anything that they do do 
positively in terms of community outreach i'm all for it so i'm not going to sit there and criticize them i'm gonna i'm gonna enjoy the content i'm, I'm gonna see it for for what it is yeah it's, it's a social media you know campaign effectively and you know it, it will boost their reach and whatnot but if you look at the cold hard facts it is helping a local business who've been hit extremely hard by the pandemic so I'm not going to be too cynical about it just really enjoyed it it was really funny so what 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 exactly was the criticism like what is the point that those who are being critical um, of this are, are making yeah so um the, the the tweet was just saying you know it's all well and good doing this this sort of you know social media washing i think i think they called it but in terms of who the club employ like they're not employing local people they're employing okay. like they're, they're outsourcing their ticket sales they're they're out outsourcing uh online sales and you know it was it was talking about the the people who work in the ground and do like the the food stuff um you know they're they're like they don't pay london living wage the, the company that they work with I, I don't know it was going on about a whole load of things that the club do um which i, I understand to an extent I, I do understand that i think i think businesses clubs can be better but i think we have to understand that you know while arsenal is a huge company it's not like you know it's not massive in terms of in terms of like a global scale like it's not like business that operates in loads and loads of of, of countries we're talking about the, the actual emirates and, and and what people are doing there like using an example of the of, of the food cell so while i understood it a bit i was just kind of like going off um just going down the rabbit hole of business by the way but um yeah i was just I, I, it was just really great for me to see that connection between supporter and club and then also in the community as well yeah i completely agree I, I mean i'm just scrolling through as you're saying that about uh you know this this thing about sponsors and i know there's been a couple of comments uh in there uh where is it hold on there was one about arsenal uh this one from uh filler who says arsenal is now an advertising company guess they should remove the fc i've just scrolled through manchester city's sponsors page on their club website and I've counted, I've not even got to the bottom of the page, over 30 sponsors. That's just the way of the world now. That's the way that these, you know, big football clubs and, and corporations, if you like, uh, in, increase their income. You know, we know that Man City do it for certain reasons. And a lot of the sponsors that they have and partners that they have are linked mm. in other ways as well. But it's just an example of how many kind of partners a, a modern day Premier League sort of juggernaut would have in 2022 and i don't think it's anything to get wound up about it it's no. part of it right i mean i remember when when ivan gazidis was in charge and a lot of people used to say well arsenal commercially are not doing what they need to be doing and now that they're trying to you know yeah. i know this is an outreach thing so arsenal probably aren't benefiting from this but the community link had kind of gone um and we felt like a business that was being run really poorly now it looks as though we're doing more in terms of bringing on partners but we're also doing more in terms of inclusivity within the, the community and people are critical of that I, I don't really get it yeah um anyway anyway uh this this sums it up from some bloke he says the fans really think arsenal are raking in the dosh from a local chippy yeah exactly, exactly. yeah i think that's the, that's the point isn't it and as long as we feel that um there was another advert a few months ago wasn't there as well with another local business can't remember exactly which one it was but you know, this thing, yes, it is a social media campaign and it, it will get traction. But ultimately, if you look at, at the people who are being helped, it's a it's, it's a great thing. And that's a number one thing that we need to try and protect. I saw um, I saw Paul Merson say the other day he was talking about um, the Emirates refurb that they're, they're planning on doing. Mm -hmm. 
and saying, you know, don't waste your money on on that. Go and spend it on players. When I'm like, actually, the stadium, the, the surroundings and the sort of environment is very important to people like match going fans. But also what about people that live in the area? They don't want to see things run down and, you know, the wear and tear after all them years at the stadium. It's important to them. So even though, you know, for the supporter, the, the most critical thing probably is is the investment in the team and the investment in the squad. But other things are important too. I think we, we have to look at it not just as like so black and white. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Um, Mike, let's let's get your thoughts on the victory over Brentford. We haven't spoken since. Um, it was a game that I thought we completely dominated. It was a game in which the scoreline for me didn't really tell the full story. What was your kind of thoughts and takeaways from, from the weekend's victory? Yeah, I thought it was a dominant performance. I was gutted on multiple fronts to con- to concede that goal last minute because, you know, it got took a short sort of took the shine off the win a tiny bit because you know when you concede in, in the fashion that we did basically the last kick of the game gets rid of the the clean sheet for the likes of Ramsdale and the, and the defenders um gives us one less goal difference but also my fantasy football team I had uh, Aaron Ramsdale and Ben White in my team and uh they were literally about 30 seconds away from getting like eight extra points so that's that's a bit of a personal blow for me um but in terms of the overall performance, I was I was impressed. I thought the intensity was good. Um, I thought we came with the, with the right sort of uh, energy. I feel like in some games we've just been so lackluster. And considering we hadn't played in such a long time, we had such a big break, 18 days, however much it was. It could have been really easy, I think, to, to slip into that, that old sort of laboured approach. But we didn't do that. And um, we we gave Brentford all, all we could. Um, weren't helped by the officials, but I'm sure we'll get into that at some point, unfortunately. But overall, I would say, yeah, good good performance. Yeah, it was a good performance. I, too, was gutted when we conceded because I had a big accumulator uh, at the weekend. Oh, yeah. there and we go. One, of, one of the legs of it was that Arsenal-Brentford ended with less than two and a half goals. Oh. So when that third goal of the game went in, I was livid, absolutely livid. And I was watching it... Um, on being sports and I, there was a slight delay. Um, and, and of course somebody had texted me saying, Oh, FFS. And I was just like, Oh, I haven't even seen it yet. But, and then you knew it was coming. Uh, yeah. you, you you know what? Like, um, it's even worse than the surprise. It, it, it is worse. Cause like back in the day, like when I was, when I was watching football at, at, at home, like, and my dad was forever for whatever reason, not watching the game. I don't know why he did, he did this on a few occasions, but he he'd be listening to it on the radio, and I'd be mm. listening to it on on whatever it was on TV, which might have been a few seconds behind. And as the goal would would go in, my dad would cheer, and obviously I've not seen it yet. Or my dad would say expletives, which meant the goal was going the <laughs> other way. And it is the worst feeling in the world just knowing something's happened, someone scored, but you don't quite know the reason. I, I like I tell you, I hate it. Yeah, me too. I wanted to get your thoughts on on one player in particular because there's been a lot of Lacazette talk again. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the, the Lacazette talk has really kind of picked up even more traction since Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's departure and the fact that they, we then didn't go and bring somebody in to play at centre-forward. I've put a little poll up in the chat box. For those of you watching us live, get involved in the poll. It's really finely balanced at the moment. Uh, the question is, is Lacazette's lack of goals going to bite us in the ass? 53% of you say it will. 
47% of you say, no, it won't. And what I mean by that is, is it going to come to cost us a little bit later on in the season? I mean, we're talking about a guy who's played 24 times this season. Uh, he scored five goals. Only three of them have been in the Premier League. Two of them were in the EFL Cup. So we're talking about a striker, 18 games in the Premier League, just three goals. Hmm. I talk a lot, Mike, about how Alexander Lacazette's work rate and his link-up play and his hold-up play facilitates the the thriving of the likes of Saka and Smith Rowe and Odegaard all in and around him. But are we putting too much emphasis and are we placing too much hope on those young guys always delivering? And would having a, a, a more accomplished striker in front of goal, would that relieve some of that burden and therefore dramatically increase our chances of making the top four? How do you see this situation? So on Lacazette, I think it is hugely disappointing because I think we know that we've seen in the past that he's had the capability of, of you know, scoring a lot more than he is right now. I think three Premier League goals in 18 games is just not good enough. It's not good enough for most Premier League strikers. Like I, I guarantee you if we signed uh, Valt Weghorst in the summer, he would have scored more Premier League goals than that. that I, I, I guarantee you that. So... Looking at it in that aspect of just goals, of course you're going to be disappointed. But looking at it in the terms of player that Lacazette has been in recent seasons, you just know that there's more from him. I understand that he has a different role now and he's not always getting in the positions. Um, you know, he's not always going to be in that poaching position that a lot of strikers score their goals. But at the end of the day, the disappointing part, and to answer your question about will that come back to bite us in the arse, it won't be the lack of goals. It will be the missed chances because the amount of sitters that he's missed this season has been unbelievable. And it, it's, it was almost got to the point now where you see Lacazette for on goal and you think he's going to miss. You, you don't have that faith in him anymore. So you have to question, does he have that faith in himself? Does he back himself to score in, in every one-on-one? -on -one? He, he might not do because he's not exuding that sort of confidence that, that a top striker does. I, I know what you're saying because in terms of his his play without the ball, it does so much to open up the game for our other players. And would they get the chances to score uh, them goals if he wasn't doing that part on the pitch? Probably not. So maybe it has facilit facilitated the likes of Emil Smith-Rowe to go and score, you know, 10 goals across all competitions, our top scorer this season, and the likes of Saka to step up and, and be more involved. But ultimately, I watch our game sometimes and I think, you know, with, with, with Odegaard in the team, one, you know, a great creator. And at the weekend, I thought he was brilliant. Again, you just think there could be that player in that gap at the top of the pitch um, to get closer to Odegaard and to really exploit that, you know, the opportunity for space, the opportunity to make runs and to get him behind. And I just think that would take our game and Arteta's game up to a, a different level. So I feel like we, we are really missing out in that sense. And in terms of the missed chances, like if that carries on, you know, that, that will ultimately cost us because we're not creating enough chances where it's going to go to all areas of the team. When we're getting like a few chances a game and in those chances where we're sticking them away at the moment, but when we don't, it's going to cost us. Yeah, it's, it's and I want to make the point that I'm in no way taking away from what Lacazette brings to the team outside of goals because he gives you an intensity up top. He presses. He's really good at that. He's a, a he's got a good attitude. He's a good leader. 
Um, I always talk about, as I keep saying, him facilitating the likes of Saka, Emil Smith-Rowe or Martinelli to drive infield because of the holes and the gaps and spaces that he leaves when he then drops into those deeper positions. If we go back to the tactical analysis show that we did off the back of the uh, Brentford game, there were a few points in there where I highlighted his movement as being important in the build-up to certain goals. So this is not to discredit Alexander Lacazette, but with Arsenal, we're in a situation where we are looking at a very young group of players and we're, we're putting all of our hopes on them. And I think the level of expectation, Mike, has, has gone up over the last couple of months mm. because of maybe more so how people are doing around us as opposed to just our own progression. But now I feel like there is an immense pressure on Smith Rowe, on Saka, on Martinelli, on Odegaard that would have been just reduced a little bit had we had a striker who would contribute yeah. One in three. You know, I'm not even asking for a striker yeah. that scores every single week. We know that Laka gives us other things, but he's got to score more than he's currently scoring, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And as, as I said, I think he does have the capability to do that. And he's shown that before. But for whatever reason, this season and, you know, towards and last season, towards the end of last season, especially, it's just not quite happening for him, whether that's a confidence thing, whether that's, is that Arteta's role for him? Um, I found it quite interesting when Arteta said the other day, and people did make a lot of it. I didn't read too much into it as, as many others did, saying that Smith Rowe can play up front. Um, going to ask you about this. Go on. Yeah, and I just found it interesting because um, I don't really see him playing that sort of role. Um, I know he played in a false nine role uh, in against Villarreal, and that obviously didn't work out. But I've never seen him as the sort of profile of player to to play up there. I'm not sure he has the physicality for it. And I think he's just so much more effective with space to on the ball. And as a striker, you don't get that that time on the ball to to run with the ball. So why would you sort of take away his biggest quality and and put him up front? I know he's got the nose for goal, um, and he created something out of nothing the other day and, and was brilliant. And he is our top scorer. But I just I don't know it's sort of that thing where if it's if it's not broke don't fix it i don't know yeah my view on that is 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 quite simple i think that you're right i think that there is a, a level of physicality required to play that role and i think that lacazette has that in the sense of he's happy to put his back up against somebody and and hold off the challenge he's happy to draw a foul out of people and you look at someone like emil smith rowe and he just I know he's bulked up a bit this season, but he still feels a little bit fragile to me. Yeah. Not too fragile to play in the Premier League, but maybe too fragile to be a centre-forward um, or somebody who's going to occupy those spaces. I think you're right. He's at his best when he picks the ball up in space and then has time to kind of look around, assess the situation, carry it. I think he's brilliant at carrying the ball. And I think that's where he's at his best. I, like you, though, don't want to read too much into this because I think that Mikel Arteta was kind of making the point that he is versatile. And yeah. making the point that yeah. he can do it, as opposed to saying, "Well, this is my next option." You know, it's it's been pretty clear, hasn't it, that Eddie and Ketia is the next option after yeah. Alexander Lacazette. And and I've heard people talking about Nicolas Pepe potentially playing that position. What's your view on that? I think Nicolas Pepe's best position is on the bench. <laughs> <laughs> I thought something like that was coming. I, I, I set you up for it, didn't I? Go on. Oh no, you, you know what? When he came off the bench, I just thought he was he was all right. He he was okay. I thought he, he had some nice touches. Um, 
he, he had that sort of half chance where Odegaard should have scored and, you know, the defender made a good block on the line. Um, but no, I, I think Pepe, it increasingly feels to me, Harry, like it's a, it's a situation that hasn't worked out for, for either party and it will come to an end this summer. I'm, I'm feeling more and more confident. I, like the fact he hasn't been in the team the past few months, um, hasn't had the Europa League and that's where he was he was shining before. It, it, yeah, it, it does feel like that's coming to an end. So maybe Arteta's thinking like, you know, if Lacazette does get injured, am I going to stick Nketiah in there who's, you know, woefully out of form or am I going to try something different? Tried Martinelli there, but I don't think that worked. Similar reasons. I think the, the physicality is not quite there. And it takes a lot of like nous to be a striker. It's not a position where you can really chuck a youngster up there and say, do a job. You know, you need to be schooled in the, in the art of shithousery. You need to be able to, you know, back into defenders. You need to know when to go down. Um, and, and you have to work bloody hard to, to press as well. So it's not something that, you know, I would take lightly. But I, I like you, think that Arteta was just saying about Smith Rowe, he could play there. Yeah, he could, mm. but he's probably not going to. Yeah, I agree with that. And um, and I think you're right about that nous thing that you need. It's it's almost like an awareness of what's going on around you that probably only really comes with a lot of experience, i.e. nicking in on balls that you know you're not going to be able to get under control and, and get a shot off, but you know that you're going to draw a foul. You know that you're going to draw a challenge. Knowing when to yeah. put your body in the right place to, to win a free kick and give your team a bit of a breather. I think that's really, really important. Um, just going back to the point about physicality, Rydog says, because Firmino, Foden are big, strong nines. I think Firmino is definitely more robust as a footballer than Emil Smith-Rowe. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. And as for yeah. Phil Foden, well, he's playing in a team of absolute superstars. And I think the role that is required of Phil Foden when he plays as a false nine for Manchester City is very, very different to what we're yeah. asking Alexander Lacazette to do. I would say this, though, Mike. We, we always refer back to that game against Villarreal where the false nine experiment just simply didn't work. I would be interested, though, to see how it would work now because this team is far more complete and far more uh, functional than the team that went out of the Europa League to Emery's Villarreal last season. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I agree with you. And I think Smith Rowe's a different player. We spoke about it earlier this season and we're saying, you know, he's a he's a great player, but the one thing you want to see from him is more goals. And he just switched that on. He switched that on. And I, I, I go back to to where where he it sort of picked up for him. And I remember talking to you about it is when he was playing for the England under-21s and he... Mm you know, scored a really great goal. And then he came back and then just started banging them in. And there was that period earlier in the season as well where he wasn't even starting. And he, I think he came off the bench three times and scored. Um, and that's just, the, you know, the the progress of, of a player who I think is going to go on to be elite because they have that mentality and they have that capability to, to learn and take things on. And, you know, credit Arteta because, as we've seen, he's, he's done it with Raheem Sterling. He, he worked closely with him, Pep, and Arteta work closely with him to, to, to develop his game and and get that you know sort of tactical element to his game as well. And I think we're seeing that with Martinelli, Saka, and Smith Rowe. So it'll be interesting to see. And also, I think if you're trying Smith Rowe as a as a false nine, what you really need is those wingers to be more inside forwards, capable of scoring. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're putting Martinelli and Saka there, they're not quite at that level, but 
you know, they are adding goals to the game. I think Martinez got about four goals this season. Saka's got about six, I think. So it is it is coming. And yeah, I could I could see that potentially working in the future. But right now, I'm not sure. But that person talking about Firmino is funny because when you said tactical nous and, you know, being smart, I thought Firmino straight away because he's, he's the one. I think he's not the strongest. I agree with that. But he knows how to use his body. He knows how to back into players, and he knows how to draw fouls. And because that, that role has been specified for him, that that false nine role he plays for for Klopp's Liverpool. So it's not all about you know stature. Sometimes it's about how you how you use it and how clever Absolutely. you are. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, there's a few comments here. Sean says Harry and Mike, Michael Owen and Robbie Fowler were not physical. Think they weren't bad. Uh, Rye Dog's gone to the extent of looking up the weight difference oh between. God. Emil Smith-Rowe and Firmino, hardly levels of robustness. We're not saying that it's only about being this big unit of a man. Nobody's saying that. We're comparing the reasons why Lacazette might be more suited to that number nine role, given the way that Arsenal currently function, and then comparing it to how Emil Smith-Rowe would cope with the role. And if you watch the games in detail, which I'm sure you do, you will notice how many times Alexander Lacazette gets smashed into and 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 is is put down on the ground and wins us free kicks and wins us penalties and gets into situations where those opportunities come along. I'm just saying that given Emil Smith Rowe's questionable fitness record over his career, which it is, I don't want to put him in that position where he is getting clattered every week because I'm not sure that he can handle it. Yeah, and, and that's a, a very I think fair observation to make based on a how many times he's been out and b his kind of physical stature. He's got better in that sense. I think he's become bigger. I think he's bulked up and that's been a good thing. But I, I think that he is still someone that I don't really want to put in that position. Yeah. And just to add to that point about, you know, physicality, I think people, will, uh, you know, are sort of looking at, at what we're saying and saying, oh yeah, he's, he, he's not the biggest and he's not the no, most muscly, but you look at players like Bakayo Saka and he's about, I don't know, five foot eight, five foot nine, maybe. I'm not sure exactly. And you wouldn't say he's the strongest, but what he does have is core strength. Like the amount of times that Saka has his back to goal, uh, a defender's pushing down onto him, trying to nick the ball and he just spins him. Mm. Like, why do you think that is? That That is down to, to physical core strength. That is down to the, the muscles in, in your abs. Um, on top of his agility and speed and quickness of thought, he's worked on that in, in the gym and he's worked on that in the training ground. So, so when a player's backing into him, he can hold them off with ease and because he's got low centre of gravity, he can spin them. And that, that's when you're talking about physicality, there's so many elements to it. It's not just being muscly. You can be yeah. the most muscly guy. You can be, be a bodybuilder. It's not going to make you good on a football pitch because you need you need lean muscle, don't you? It's not just about you know having a six-pack, is it? I completely agree. Well, obviously, we know about having a six-pack, Harry, so we can talk from experience. You know, we we obviously had that. So, six-pack of burgers or something probably <laughs> more accurate with me. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Martin Odegaard. If you cast your mind back to the summer, Mike, everybody was kind of making noises. No, we don't want Odegaard. Go and break the bank. Go and get Madison from Leicester. Now, mm. this is not to criticise James Madison. It's not to say he's a bad player. But has Martin Odegaard gone some way in your view um, or, or in your mind to proving that Arsenal were right to take a punt on him instead? 
Yeah. Yeah, he just he looks silky. He just looks absolutely class. And um I think I was getting a bit frustrated with him early in the season because I feel like he was dropping too deep. Um, but because we've got our two main midfielders back and we, we've had them, Xhaka and Partey, super I feel granite. like they can... Yeah, super big, big granite. Um, <laughs> I feel like they can do the sort of job that, that he was having to do. So it allows him to push slightly further up. And we saw him, of course, get an opportunity to score. I was a bit disappointed. I thought, you know, a player with that much technique, he should be burying that. But then again... As we're talking about, it's it's a totally different pressure being in front of goal rather than having to having to set someone up to be for on goal. Um, so he can definitely work on that. But we do know he's got the he, he's got the goal scoring capabilities. He's I think he's probably better from outside the box than he is in the box. Um, so if if he can work on that a bit better, then then we'll see. But I think the reason he's having to do this creative role and you know drop deeper sometimes is because we just don't have that sort of number nine that can that can do that job and and sort of run in behind too much so it just means that the chances that we create are more, are more link up so Lacazette's dropping deep Odegaard's interlinking with him so that means he needs to be a bit deeper on the pitch but I'm not going to say that he he reminds me of Ozil but I I do see flashes of, of Ozil when I watch Odegaard just the way he sort of like glides across the pitch I was watching a a video of Ozil and you know because it sort of ended so badly with Ozil I think it's quite you know, easy to forget some of the stuff he did, but I can't remember who it was against. It was um, in the Champions League. You know, the one when he, when the keepers run out of the box and he flicks it over him. Ludogorets. Um, was it Ludogorets? Yeah, Ludogorets, that's the one. And the best part of that isn't even the flick or, or the timing of the flick. It's when the ball's dropping out of the sky and it's the, the touch that takes both defenders out of the game as he goes around them. And it's just like, man, like this guy was special. And I I see like Odegaard reaching similar levels to that, and because he he was sort of like a, a boy wonder when he went to Real Madrid at the age of sixteen, I think he's finally sort of realising his potential, and it's it's great to see. Yeah, I think I think he he reminds me a bit of Ozil. Um, I made that comparison I think the other day in that for me it's he's got all the stuff on the ball as well as the hard work off of it. And that's why he's a player that really kind of appeals to Mikel Arteta and ticks all of his boxes because he yeah. can give you the work rate. He can close people down. He can set the tempo. His attitude is spot on, but he also gives you that wonderful technical ability on the ball and can dictate football matches. Now, sometimes, you know, we will judge players based on goals and assists, but when you watch a game, you get the feeling now that for Arsenal to tick, Martin Odegaard has to tick. And and when he does, that makes us a much better team. And, and it's about the collective and it's about the influence and the impact that he has on the collective. Just going back to the talking about false nines and different formations and this and that, we kind of established on the tactical show over the last few weeks that there has been a bit of a shift. Granit Xhaka is playing a bit higher up the pitch. It's a bit more of like a... 4-3-3 sort of thing, particularly in mm. certain fixtures. But with Xhaka and Partey, we have that ability to flick it back to the 4-2-3-1 and be that little bit more defensively solid if necessary. But I think this is a really important point from Kevin. You know, there's all this talk about do this, do that, change this, change that. He says right now, it's not the time for Arteta to be playing mad scientist and experimenting on new things. Just keep doing what's working so that we get the top four. That's 
spot on for me, Mike, because yeah. if you think back to when we missed out on the top four under Unai Emery, I think it was because he got confused. He got to the end of that first season and he went, oh, well, I kind of fancy winning the Europa League here. So I'm going to mess about with the team in the Premier League. And we dropped points, I remember, in two specific games, Crystal Palace and Brighton at home. And after that, it all went to shit. You know, and was that was that Lucas Thoreau number 10 days? Probably. Yeah, around that period. But it was it, it just felt to me like he overthought it, he overcomplicated it. He wanted to, you know, prioritize one when maybe, you know, we weren't in a position to prioritize either. We had to go for both, I think. And and it blew up in his face. I don't want to see Arteta do that because if we do miss out on the top four and he's been tinkering with the team, the knives will be out, won't they? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the big things um, that, you know, put a lot of Arsenal fans off Emery was just the constant tinkering because, and I'm seeing, I'm, I'm going to draw a comparison to, to Chelsea here because I see it with them as well. And I think one of, one of the reasons that Lukaku struggled so much, mostly because, you know, Chelsea play possession style football, which is not playing to his strengths, but also because he's got two different attackers next to him every week. So how how was he meant to build up a, a relationship with them? And it feels like one of the best things about us this season is that we have an established back back five, Ramsdale, Tomiyasu, White, Gabriel, and Tierney. We have an established two in, two in midfield, Xhaka and Party, and then we have Odegaard and then and Saka. And the other players have sort of been moving around a little bit. You have got Smith Smith Rowe or Martinelli, and most of the time Lacazette out front. So if you're getting about nine out of eleven players like consistently playing every week like that is so good for your your consistency your sort of muscle memory of where players are going to be on the pitch because it sort of eliminates the the sort of chance factor and I know people criticized Arteta for the players being too rigid under him but if if anything we're, we're seeing the fruits of that now we're seeing the fruits of the exact maneuvers that they'd be doing on the training pitch coming into play and that has been helped big time by the lack of European football and the fact that we're out of the cup competitions uh, because it means that we play the same team every week. There's little risk of them getting injured, but it's the consistency that that's been so key for us in establishing how we want to play in, in establishing, you know, what sort of, you know, energy we put in and at what times, because do you remember like it wasn't that long ago where we were playing really well in the, in the first half. And then in the second half, we were dropping off, but we're yeah. seeing it more consistently over 90 minutes at the moment. So the last thing you want to do is just like throw Smith, Smith Rowe in at, at number nine. I mean, for what reason? It it doesn't, it maybe is as, as like a, a last, last gasp thing. If, um if, if Lacazette gets injured and I was thinking to myself a minute ago, while you were talking, or oh, maybe he'll do it in preseason to sort of try things, but we're all hoping we'll have a new number nine by then. So that they won't need to do that. But I definitely think, keep it as it is it's working i think we will you know struggle to create chances in in some games and we but i think we've got the players to do, to have that individual impact on games at the moment the well, one big debate for me harry i wanted to ask you this is what happens with smith row now does he get dropped for martinelli coming back i don't know oh, yeah that, no, that's a really good question and one that i was actually planning to ask you a little bit later on um no it's a really really good question because I love Gabriel Martinelli. I really, really do. But I just feel like today, Emil Smith-Rowe is 
better equipped or is more likely in his current form, scoring goals, being our top scorer, to get us over the line than Gabriel Martinelli is. So I personally think that what should happen, and I know a lot of people would disagree with this, is Martinelli should stay out of the team for the game against Wolves on Thursday and Emil Smith-Rowe should continue on the left flank. I recognise that's not always going to be uh, you know, a popular view. I think there will be people out there who want to see Lacazette dropped and Martinelli played down through the middle. But I'm not mm. saying he can't do it. I'm just not sure that he has those things we were talking about earlier on in terms of the nous, in terms of the positional awareness to give us what Laka gives us in the number nine position. You've got to remember, he's not a number nine, Gabriel Martinelli, you know. He's, no. he's always been so vocal about the fact that he doesn't want to play there. I know we keep talking about converting him, but the player needs to be bought into that idea. You're never going to achieve as much as you can in something unless you're bought into it, right? You know, you want to be an elite boxer. You need to be, you need to love the sport of boxing. You want to be an elite footballer. You need to love the sport. You know, you if you want to learn a p particular style or whatever, you need to be bought into that. Like you can't just half ass it. And if Martinelli doesn't want to be a striker, then I think we should probably stop pushing this narrative of convert him, convert him, convert him. Like, it, yeah, I think as well, one of the things that's been really good about Arsenal this season, has been better about Arsenal this season, is that when players have lost their place in the team for whatever reason, whether that be injury, suspension, and somebody else has come in and done well, Mikel's been, I think, quite good at saying, well, now you've got to wait for your opportunity to get back in the team. If you think about Kieran Tierney, how long was it before, you know, he came back in ahead of Nuno Tavares? There needed to yeah. be some kind of questionable for questionable performances, sorry, um, from that player to then open the door for Tierney to come back in. And I feel like, given the impact Emil Smith-Rowe had at the weekend, how can you now take him out of the team? It sends the wrong message. Mm. And having Martinelli off the bench as an impact player with lots of energy, raring to go towards the latter stages of the game might not be the worst idea in the world. Well, are you saying that by your theory, Cedric should play over Tommy Asu as well, Harry? Your, your boy, Cedric. <laughs> well, look, <laughs> if, if there's any doubts about Tommy Asu's fitness still, then yeah. Because I, I thought Cedric was okay at Wolves. And I thought yeah. he was good against Brentford. Now, I recognise that Brentford are not the strongest of opponents. And I recognise that he did an awful lot more attacking than he did defending. And I've always said this to you, and, and I say it to everybody, Cedric, as an attacking sort of influence from right mm. back, I actually think offers more than any of our other right back options. I'm pretty but sure I you compared him to David Beckham at one point. He's got a wonderful delivery. Great hair as well. <laughs> no, but his 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 balls into the box are good. Um, his positioning is good. I think he's one of those players that if he's playing as a wing back and you take away a lot of that defensive responsibility, he mm. doesn't look half as bad. Yeah. I, I do think if I had one criticism of Takahiro Tomiyasu, it's when he gets into the final third, the attacking third. And I know he's not asked to do it as much as Tierney is, for example, on the other side. But I do feel like his final ball is missing. I do feel like his decision-making isn't yeah. quite right. But he's a, a far superior defender. I'd yeah. play Tommy Asu if he's fit on, on Thursday, just because I think Wolves will offer us a threat. What's your take on that? I think he's a far superior defender, but 
as well. I agree with that. But also, I think he offers you so much more security in possession. I feel like Cedric, it's like he just panics sometimes. Like if, if someone presses him, it's like you, you, you don't really know what's what he's going to do. And most of the time, he'll just go backwards because he's not really got the composure, I think, to to get the ball and, you know, play it into midfield or to, to get the ball and, you know, sidestep someone or or push it out to the side to play the ball forward to, to Saka. And, I mean, is that really his fault? Because he's not really had the chance to build up, build the same relationship with Saka as Tommy Asu has, because them two have sort of got a great chemistry together and they, they're, they're on the same wavelength. But you just see sometimes with Cedric, it's like the players around him are not really sure what he's going to do. I, I would say that's my biggest criticism of him. I just don't think he has that same level of, of compo- high-level composure that Tommy Asu has. So for me, if Tommy Asu is fit, he goes in. But there's question marks over it still, I think. I, there's been this you know, recurring calf injury. I think he was out with it before before the, the Liverpool Carabao Cup game. He was out for a few games, and then he spent another few games out. So I'm not really sure on the status of that. So I think if there is a doubt and there is the possibility that he could... Um, you know, not be quite 100% match fit, I think I'd, I'd leave him on the bench because he played against Liverpool in that Carabao Cup and I thought he was ropey, like really mm. ropey, like just didn't look fit whatsoever. So we don't want another risk of that, especially against a team like Wolves where, you know, if they're playing Daniel Pedence or someone like that, it could be what a really a tricky is, afternoon. Yeah, I know. Unbelievable. Another player was talking about low centre of gravity. Like that guy who just has defenders on strings. He just, you know, so fast, you can't keep up with him. But, so I'd go Tommy Asu. Um, I'd I'd stick. I'd agree with you as well. I'd stick with Smith Rowe because I think it's so important uh, to to keep that sort of word of the manager. If the manager says to you, "Put in a good performance and you'll get your place," you literally can't. For you know, in terms of the morale of the team, turn around and say, "All right, you've just basically you know played a huge role in us winning that game by scoring the opener, and you're going to sit on the bench." I don't really think that's fair. Um, and also as well, I think Martinelli has been good, uh, but I think there has been a, a bit of a drop off in recent games. I don't think he's been as as effective as uh, when he was banging in the goals like against Leeds uh, like a couple of months ago. So I think it's about fair to to say that Smith Rowe can can keep his place. Maybe he will, he will think that he's unlucky because he got a bit of a unfair red card, but at the end of the day, it happened. So yeah, I would stick with Smith Rowe. I just think that he just offers you that sort of link-up play that, that Martinelli is not quite, I don't think he's quite at that level of a, of creativity in terms of on the ball. I think he's great. He's direct. He's, you know, energetic. But I think Smith Rowe is a bit more incisive. And as we can see, he's just got that moment of magic in him um, and that, that nose for goal that Martinelli's not quite got at the moment. So, yeah, I'd stick with him. Yeah, no, good stuff. Uh, we're going to take some of your questions for the last sort of 10 minutes or so of the show don't forget if you haven't done it already please do hit the like button there's over 300 of you with us live right now but we've only got 72 likes on the board let's try and get that over the 100 mark asap make sure you're subscribed to the channel as well if you are new we're now officially on the road to 20,000 after hitting 19,000 subscribers uh, over the weekend i think it was uh, so get involved hit the subscribe button let's try and get there between now and the end of the season. And I'll tell you what, if we do get there, we'll give away another two Arsenal shirts of your choice. So let's try and uh, let's hit that target. Benefits everyone, or two of you, 
anyway okay uh let's take some of your questions and see uh what you guys are saying uh eli says uh who's going to end up being our top scorer this season well mike i mean at the moment emil smith rowe leads that chart i'm just going to bring up the chart for all competitions uh so far this season um but are you confident that Emil Smith can hold on to that place? I'm not sure. Um, I think he's on 10. It's not a huge amount, let's be honest. Um, but it depends if, if he can hold down his place. I think if he can continue to start for the rest of the season and he really kicks on, then I think he will. But it it, it just sort of depends... It depends if Martinelli, you know, has a purple patch and you know comes into the team and and takes his place back. So it'll be interesting, definitely. Well, you mentioned Emil Smith Rowe's on ten, Saka's in second on eight. Uh, Aubameyang's obviously no longer with us; he was on seven. Lacazette is on five, so he's only managed half of what Emil yeah. Smith Rowe's managed so far. Enketi is on five, but don't envisage him hopefully playing too much. Martinelli's on four. Um, Martin Odegaard's on four as well. I've got a sneaky feeling that Bukayo Saka is going to overtake him. I think he will take over. Yeah. Um, I, I think he will he will take over That's that position shot. between now and the end of the season. Yeah. Yeah. Nice no, fair because he will start every game, and of course he is progressing at such a such an alarmingly good rate that he could easily do that. I think, and he's becoming more and more important for us. So yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Okay, uh, let's go back to the questions. Let's take this comment first from Hardik, who says, it's raining here in India. Mate, don't talk to us about weather. We have had storm after storm after storm. Fence panels gone, even though they knew all sorts has been going on here. Um, it's been a nightmare. Yeah, how did, how been... did the Simu household hold up? Yeah, it was all right. I, I lost one. Well, I didn't even lose it. I had one fence panel that from the wind kind of like bowed. And then it was yeah. like sticking out into the alleyway. So I've had to, I, luckily I, I kept a spare behind my uh, outbuilding when, um, when I got the other side done in the summer. So I had one to just slot right back in there, but oh mate, trying to go outside in that wind and put in a fence panel by yourself is not something I recommend it. You know, you hold it and it's got all this surface area that's just picking up the wind yeah. and you know how high you've got to lift it on a six foot panel to drop it in. I, I almost got blown away, honestly. Did you have a what step ladder or, or No, I didn't. I, I didn't. I, oh, I just tried geez. to do it myself. I've done it myself in the summer, like with yeah. without a ladder. Um, and I thought it'd be fine. Stupid move. <laughs> what about you? Did you um, get blown away? No. Nah, um, I didn't, but there was there was only one thing. We we lost a bit of tarpaulin that was covering the uh the the table outside. Um, so that shouldn't be too expensive to replace. I think the the tree next door was threatening to go. It's a big, huge, like 20, 30 foot tree. I don't know why it's there. And it was bowing badly. Like it was almost at a 90 degree angle, but it just managed to to, to stay. So luckily, yeah, no, uh, not, not too much damage. It's still there because they cost an absolute fortune to get chopped down, I guess is probably the reason. Yeah, yeah, they do. They do. It's massive. <laughs> Uh, William says, do you think the lack of cup action for us will make some squad players more difficult to get rid of in the summer? I don't think, Mike, that we've got too many more to kind of ship out. 
Well, it's going to sound like I hate him, but obviously the the one that comes to mind is Nicolas Pepe. Um, Will you and just he's leave not... him alone? Will you just leave him alone? <laughs> no, because if if you look at it, he's the only like asset we can really move on for any money. Because even though we have been getting rid of of players, we've not been getting fees for them, Harry. So it just means that all this investment is just is is gonna is gonna be bad on our, on our, on our net spend because we're not getting any money in. So if if you're looking at players who can actually be sold for a fee, like I'd I'd say Pepe is probably the only squad player that you're looking at. Like obviously there's like like El Neni who's probably gonna go. Um, who else is there? Inketia is obviously you know out of contract. Lacazette's probably gonna go. He's out of contract. You're not gonna get any money for him. So it's like. Where are we actually going to get some return on our investment here? So Pepe is the only one that I think that we can afford to let go that would actually get some money, but he's not played all season. So who's going to actually you know turn up for him unless a team in France where they know he's proven? I think that's probably the most likely option for him. Yeah, he could still have an impact though from the bench and he could still kind of put himself in the shop window. Uh, it feels mm. like even though he, he might come good, he came good at the end of last season, he might come good again this time. But it just feels like with him and Mikel Arteta, it's never really going to work. And, no. you know, Arteta's not been sort of bullied into using him or felt a need to use him based on his price tag. At the end of the day, that was done. You know, as a previous, yeah, uh, you know, that was a black mark on the previous regime, I guess, if you want to say that it was a waste of money and a bad transfer. Uh, Rudy says, uh, Harry, would you take Danny Carvajal from Real Madrid as cover for Tommy Asu? Uh, would you get Danny Carvajal in as, as cover for Tommy Asu? It's a bit uninspiring, isn't it? Mm. I think Carvajal has been a great defender during his time at Real Madrid, but I don't know. I, I think for me, he's lost quite a bit of his pace. And yeah. um, I think the the next sort of right back we sign is going to be someone young and someone that offers something a bit different to, to Tommy Asu, someone that's, you know, attack focused. Um, that that would be a different option. I think someone like uh, I'm not saying him exactly, but the profile of someone like Max Aaron's. I think he, you know, that sort of. Do you like shorter... him? So I don't. Um, no, that's what I was going to say. He was. He was. He was re- I think he looked good when he was when Norwich were last in the Premier League, and and he looked in so- exciting. But he's not quite kicked on. So that, that's why I say that sort of profile of player. But actually, him has been a bit disappointing. I disagree. I agree, I agree with you. But that sort of player, just a bit small, a bit like you know who I would want in an ideal world, Tarek Lamptey. I think yes. he would be amazing for us. Some someone yeah. like him, you know, great delivery, really like attack focus, could work on his defense. But then if you've got someone like like Tomiyasu, you know, it will be great competition for him. And also as well, like what often doesn't get spoken about with Tommy Asu, like there was a lot of talk about us leaving ourselves short at centre-back when we let Chambers go. Tommy Asu can play centre-back as well. Yeah. Exactly. So we actually still do have four options uh, in that position. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, of the Japanese international, Moss says, is he back this Thursday? I think there's a good chance he is. Um, but of course, we, we will wait until Mikel Arteta provides his update ahead of uh, the game on Thursday. And even then, he doesn't always tell us, does he? Uh, so we'll have to wait and see. Uh, there was one uh, from J04. I feel as though Partey's recent performances, barring the red card against Liverpool, have been going under the radar. Is he vital for the push for the top four, Mike? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Going under the radar. I agree with you. He's uh, he's looking more confident, I think, you know, because he's been able to have a run in the team and and not, 
and not be injured it's just so important and as i was talking about earlier the fact that he's an established part of the side now he knows his role i think it is slightly changing recently as as you said earlier i think granite shaka is pushing on a bit leaving him a bit vulnerable but i feel like that's a sort of ploy when we're in possession but then in de- in defensive shape he, uh, Xhaka does drop back and make party's job a little bit easier um but I think as well, he he just needs that sort of protection around him. And when he was next to, you know, an inexperienced player, I think he was trying to do too much. But yeah. now he's got Xhaka next to him. He just looks like a more complete player. And if anything, I'm a bit surprised about about Party and in, in, in terms of the role he's taken up, because I thought he would be, you know, a box-to-box, all-action midfielder, um, you know, getting assists and stuff like that and, you know, scoring a few from long range, but it's just not happened. Um, so I wonder, you know, if, if we do decide to upgrade on Xhaka in the summer, what's what sort of player we might go for? I'm, I'm not convinced we will, by the way, but um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out his Arsenal career over the next few years. Yeah, completely agree. And if you're wondering why I brought up this Arsenal's average positions versus Brentford graphic for the 740th time this week, <laughs> it was to demonstrate Mike's point that uh, that Thomas Partey's role is is slightly different now. He is, when in possession, uh, very much a, a single pivot. But as I pointed out on the tactical analysis show, one of the reasons why that works quite well at the minute is because of Gabriel and Ben White's ability to push quite far up the pitch and be quite close to him as opposed Mm. to having a single midfield pivot who then has a gaping hole between himself and the centre-backs like we used to see in the Koscielny and Mertesacker days where, you know, Mertesacker couldn't play too high up the pitch without getting exposed to pace. So, um, yeah, I I think that's that's an important point. That is very Uh, much a 4-3-3 though, isn't it, Harry? That is very much what we were sort of thinking Arteta would play. Like, look at that Odegaard the creator, but you know, he's basically playing as on on the right side of midfield. If you look at it with, with just Shaka like Shaka is playing on the left, yeah, yeah. Like, and Jacker was so attacking the other day, like, he was getting the bottom. Like, I think he, he even put in the cross for Lacazette's outside goal. That's right, isn't yep. it? Um, Most progressive prices on Saturday were played by Granite, yeah. Jacker. I mean, I'm not saying that I, I love him in that role, but um, I think against teams that are going to sit back and you need that extra midfielder, I think it, it works. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, just going to pick out one more because I really, really pushed for time. Uh, we've been chatting a lot of uh, good stuff, I hope. A lot of nonsense as well, but that's that's normal for us. Yeah. Uh, there was one that I wanted to pick out. I should have starred it. You can star them now, Mike. You can favorite yeah, I saw the that. comments and you don't lose them. It's amazing. Um, where, is it? where is it? Where is it? Where is it? I should. I, I didn't use it this time. No. <laughs> Uh, it was something to do with, here it is. I want to say a big hello to Jean uh, Didu Sebagabo. I hope I've said that right, mate, who joins us from Kigali in Rwanda. He says, why are we trying to fix a problem we don't have? I think the current way of playing is working perfectly with Lacazette up front. I think it's almost perfect, my friend. I think it's just the fact that we'd like to see our centre forward taking the opportunities that come his way. As Mike pointed out so rightly earlier, there's been a few, hasn't there? Really good opportunities that have just gone by the wayside. And and hopefully 
we don't live to regret those. But we're going to leave it there. Thank you all so much for tuning in. As always, uh, we're six likes away from 100. Come on, guys, get us over the line. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you are new. Uh, give Mike a follow on Twitter. Mike, how can people follow you? Yes, yeah, uh, at Mike underscore Stavru on Twitter. There you go. His uh, link will be in the description. We'll be back very, very soon with more Arsenal content. Until next time, goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.